0: Welcome to The Crone's Porch Magic, Witchcraft, and liminal Approach to Magical Faith. This is, in fact, 100%, to the best of my knowledge, because, you know, life's weird, your grandmother's podcast, uh, and content warning for use of general curmudgeonry, strong language. uh, These opinions are our own, which we wish to express as practitioners following, stumbling often, on a crone's path. And on today's episode... It's the Pagan Job Fair. We're talking about Pagan faith and how it impacts our professional life, how it got us to where we are, how it is a part of our everyday job experiences, and how we're thinking about using it in our future careers. So uh, sit tight for this career development-centered conversation on the Crone's Porch.
1: Hi, Colin. Hi, Ian. How... Are you today? I am well, thank you. I had a pretty quiet day because I was working from home, so you know that was cool, boss
0: baby. I. How about you? I was gonna say, what did I do today? Um, I had a pretty good day. I had a a more fairly busy, meaningful day, which Mm -hmm. I like. It keeps my ADHD brain enthralled because it's like oh I get to go here and then there and my day is accounted for I don't have empty minutes where I have to make myself do work work is mm-hmm. made for me um, I had that I did get into not nah, when I say fight it's like it was a fight in my brain but it was more of just a uh, passionate conversation uh, about trans athletes and sports with some folks
1: oh boy oh boy
0: <laughs> Well, it was a lot about how propaganda is really good at propaganda-ing and how people believe that there is some this pervasive thing about trans athletes uh, dominating sports, specifically trans women dominating sports after they transition. I'm like, the vast majority of trans athletes are average at their sport, if not actually probably bad because of all the systemic social things that they have to deal with in order to even compete.
1: Also, sports are on the basis of skill and luck. It has very little to do with natural physical talent, like born yeah. physical ability. And a lot of their good
0: a lot of their examples are c- concerns, which are like valid. Uh, this was particularly women's sports and I'm like women's sports has its own shit to deal with, with misogyny and being undervalued. So like I get the defensiveness just because like sure. it took forever just to get women's sports, but like their examples kept constantly being like, Oh, a Leah Thomas or, uh or, Oh, having this like six, eight behemoth volleyball player. And I'm like, you do realize there are women who are behemoths like Leah Thomas and a six, eight volleyball player. Like if, we just made took the marker and made it F on their birth certificate and gave them boobs. You wouldn't be complaining, you would just be like, Wow, this like freakishly tall volleyball player or this freakishly wide-winged, wide arm spread woman swimmer, and we wouldn't be complaining about it. <laughs> but because it's mm-hmm. trans athlete, we all of a sudden have problems. Yep, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's what my that's that's always been my job of like i step i put foot in mouth and end up talking about trans things because that's like everyone's biggest hang up
1: yeah people
0: are pretty good with sexuality these days or they just don't care which i also don't care mm.
1: <laughs> but don't care ain't ain't the worst thing in the universe uh, yeah nihilism <laughs>
0: well yeah positive nihilism but that's not what we're here to talk about colin that's my job and i'm gonna leave my job at my job uh today on this lovely uh 50th i did say five zero i'm not counting so someone out there is like it's actually 51 or 52 which i actually believe of the people that I know, maybe, or do listen to our podcast, a certain Aaron J. Schwartz would probably be the one to text us immediately and be like, it's actually 52. <laughs> and
1: Well, you know what, Aaron?
0: <laughs> if, <laughs> if Aaron, if you're, you're listening. Your
1: cushy government job,
0: making Aaron, if you're money listening, and
1: going home at five.
0: You're appreciated, but also fuck off.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: but yes, your this, pedantism <laughs> up in Albany.
0: <laughs> this is our 50th episode. I said in the Ostara episode, I don't think I can do 50 of a lot of things. So, making 50 episodes consistently, pretty much, like, you know, we had some hiccups here and there, but, like, pretty consistently 50 episodes to some sort of schedule. Like, wow.
1: Yeah, it's kind of wild.
0: <laughs> is, this what, is this what life is actually supposed to be like? Like, hobbies that make you feel happy and fulfilled that you want to do i mean i don't have the job part of the fulfillment but like life is supposed to be fulfilling
1: right yeah pretty much even if life is just you spent the whole day on video games and you're like wow i don't feel guilty that i was unproductive and then like the things just click into place and you're like wow life is meaningless and this is beautiful
0: (laughs) yeah so this is our 50th episode um Bells, whistles. I don't have a sound machine, but <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Imagine
1: obnoxious air horns.
0: Yeah, all that. um And we're here to talk about careers. Now, this is not your pagan job fair. That's a good title for this episode, pagan job fair. Write that down. <laughs> no, write it down. <laughs> um. Actually, seriously, though, we're here to talk about, it. on our tradition, or not our tradition, on our train of exploring queerness in magic, we have to talk about how magic queerly, queers our lives, and I think both of us being in the, not the prime, but in the thick of our beginnings of our professional career where it's like the this is it this is we're setting the pace for what our whole careers would be uh we're going to talk about how being pagan has affected both positive and negative and neutral our jobs how it has helped us find jobs in some ways both from a magic standpoint and actually professional skills standpoint And kind of some of the things we're actually interested in doing in bringing magic more into our professional lives, uh, both as its own thing and as a part of what we do in our other spaces of work. Um, So I guess we need to set the stage. We talk about it disparately. So I guess if you want to listen back through all our episodes, but you should because they're all great episodes. They are. Um, We should give some context to our jobs.
1: (laughs) and professional lives a little bit no
0: discriminating details but just like uh you know the like so
1: so how about you go first because both of our job lives have changed pretty significantly over the course of this podcast so you unravel your tale
0: (laughs) so i mean i'll start I guess from what my first career was going to be, because that leads a little bit into my life. um, I have a paper engineering background, which is uh, basically chemical engineering in natural and forest bioproducts. So my dream was to be a process engineer who worked in a paper mill. I actually want to do on the R&D end of paper products to figure out how paper can be used to do a lot of cool stuff because it actually is, you should Google not you specifically, Colin, but, like, our listeners should Google, like, paper products because it's surprising what you can do with just, like, some cellulose and water
1: and some no, other things. paper's thing. fascinating. Yeah. It
0: really is. Um Got to the end of that undergrad experience. Realize uh, the paper industry is hella transphobic, hella racist, also based in places I can't feasibly live safely. Um, so I didn't do that. I went back to school, got a master's in public administration and student Affairs Administration with a concentration in nonprofit administration, lots of administrations in my degrees. uh and then found my way into universities. I've worked at a state institution doing education and training in the field of LGBTQ uh, advocacy, div- advocacy and identity development and now i'm an assistant director at another institution um in an office of diversity and inclusion doing more broad programming i kind of expanded out. i have more responsibilities but i'm not doing specifically education anymore so that's my career and background a little bit what about you colin
1: um similarly speaking i kind of Bop from one thing to another, I entered college with the idea of being a chemist, um, specifically interested in, like, metallurgy and R&D of, like, uh, and, like, uh, how we can do fun, weird quantum things, um, but then I decided that I don't like math and that chemistry may be profitable, but I'm not a money human being and my interest is in humans, so I became an anthropology and archaeology major, and I lived out a childhood dream and did get, indeed, an anthropology degree with a specialization in religion, religion, belief and folklore, um, which I have, appropriate. That, yeah, that's my that's that's my skill set right there. <laughs> and then I decided that um, I was not capable of being an academic and going on the Ph.D. track. Uh just, and I was getting in more into activism. So I'm like, I'm going to do something that's more like good for society, quote unquote. So I got decided to get my degree in public administration, which we both met at Binghamton due to that, because we were in the same program at the Mm -hmm. same time. Um, and I got that with a focus in genocide and mass atrocity prevention, because conflict is interesting to me. Uh, and often conflict is narrative driven. So it, fills my, my, my folklore needs. Um, and then COVID happened. So the job market went, which I'm sure everyone is having the feels about Uh still. (laughs) And so I went in and did a year in LGBTQ shelter work, um, working with young people, building those skills and slowly shredding my soul, um because I was doing also that with a lot of hardcore like community activism stuff in unhealthy ways and then I decided enough was enough and I ended up in (laughs) higher education doing inclusion and diversity work around religion spirituality and secular belief so it kind of ties together all of my skills in what I'm doing now and I get to go home at a set time. I get plenty of time off and I can generally, you know, I can generally, I could disappear from work at any time and the students would be fine. So there's a lot less pressure <laughs> in my job.
0: Yeah. Um...
1: So <laughs> I'm thinking it's balancing, it, it's, it's balanced everything out, but I sort of decided that higher ed seems to work for me pretty well because I can do some sort of nice social changey diversity things engage all my skill sets, and also stay healthy as a human being. So I think it's like the the trifecta. Let's stick stick with that until the bottom drops out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: true. So I guess the follow-up to that, that's a little bit of our background. So as we talk about our how things in, impact our professional lives, so you have a little bit of background as to who we are and what we do as jobs. Um, so question one. how does your religious beliefs impact
1: where you're at now um i think mine is a little more obvious so how about you go first
0: (laughs) uh mine impacts my job as uh not directly at all uh, if I never brought it up, it would never get brought up. Uh, I bring it up because, you know, we can have a debate about whether representation matters or it doesn't. But telling people that I am a pagan or whatever terminology I decide to use that day and showing them that there is an option outside of Christianity or any of the m- major faiths is uh, a job in of itself. Uh, I usually get lots of questions, but I'm a pretty like it's not much. It doesn't impact my job i make it impact my job because i bring up religious uh diversity all the time but uh it doesn't impact my job (laughs) you
1: for me i mean it was part of the consideration as to my getting hired um having a different skill set than most everyone in the office um i'm one of the two people who has ever not been christian who's worked at the center so I'm kind of a new set of skills.
0: Did you tell the uh, folks like without saying your institution, did you tell them that you work at a, a spiritual life center?
1: I don't know if I did. Yes. I, I well, work basically at a spiritual, li- uh, a spiritual life center that serves <laughs> all the, all the belief groups on campus um, at my institution. And I, um, I, I kind of bring my, my pagan set and, uh, and, and, uh, worldview to work because it's kind of part of the work of exposing people to new things, serving mm-hmm. different groups. Also just being a voice for tiny minority faiths is also a part of my job. So less specific yeah. to paganism on its own, but also including you know any sort of tiny minority that doesn't really have any cultural weight in most people's lives. Um, so that's that's been really interesting to kind of see how that works. Often I get, I've had one or two reactions, one to my face being the people who are just kind of interested or curious and I get a lot of questions or, you know, people who are interested in what I have to say. No one's been like super about like, oh my gosh, this is life-changing for me. What a new option. More like a like, oh, I'm glad I knew, I know more now which mm-hmm. has been very positive. And then behind my back, people have bit like questioned why I, I needed to be hired or why why a pagan is was present, but that has blown over for the yeah. most part. Yeah, um, it over it real quick. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's been really interesting for me. It's a very positive experience because it, it, it's kind of, it, it could have just been token. But the way that you know my office is actually so healthy and positive and does such a good job that it actually does, I think, what representation is supposed to do and add a new layer of like cool stuff to the mix. So for me, that's very positive. And like I'm very lucky to be in the position that I'm in and to be able to do what I do. And I recognize to a certain degree there's like a level of like privilege that gets me in the door in that regard. But I also think that it's a good way to sort of leverage what I got at this point. Um, but definitely, my my biggest my biggest focus right now is the fact that like the bar is set so low for inclusion of anything but Christians, that um, and that and that unlike so like white supremacy while it is still very much well and alive within all of higher ed, like, but it's being talked about on on an almost daily basis, like either in a performative sense or in a liberatory sense or in a like, how can we change sort of sense? Which to be fair, in my view, the third one's probably the most productive in an institutional setting. But um, Christian supremacy is not talked about at all. Like it's an entirely unaddressed area. So I'm sort of doing work that's, like, you know, what 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 confronting race was back in, like, the 1930s. Like, that's where we are with Christian supremacy. Like, back before, well, not quite before the civil rights. It's not a fair comparison. That's, like, they're apples, oranges. But, like, a lot more work to do in terms of just getting people to realize the concept exists.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So so hard to get people to believe that Christian supremacy exists. I I don't deal with that on like a specific personal or a specific professional experience because I don't work in a spiritual life office, but, which leads me to my second question. um. So that's how, like how it impacts your job now. I guess the the follow up to that is how has your faith impacted your career and trajectory in that? And do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first again?
1: Mm. Yeah, mine's kind of long. You go first.
0: <laughs> um, so mine also again hasn't been super direct. I kind of uh, once I got onto the student affairs track, I pretty directly went into LGBTQ work, and now I sometimes don't even say I do LGBTQ work. I do trans work. I I want to focus specifically with trans and gender equity, but specifically trans equity. Um, but I found that pretty much because LGBTQ centers were my saving grace in college, so I didn't see myself, if I was going to work in higher ed spaces, I was going to work in LGBT or diversity centers, but doing LGBTQ work, that's just like my bread and butter. I will say, though, that being pagan or magical faiths or whatever, we've changed so many times, whatever we want to call it today, has impacted me in a way that I think it's hard to conceptualize, but I think it has affected the way I think about things. So working for LGBTQ staff, um, unless you're at a Stonewall Center or a, I can't remember what the name of the Michigan Center that was the first one in the 70s. Um, If you're at a center like that, you have lots of history to pull on, Mm -hmm. which is great for them. But (laughs) most of the rest of us are either one people or either one person shops, one center, one person center shops. A lot of people are, they are uh, LGBTQ support services in Experience only, have no title or any kind of job that actually connects that. And surprisingly, the whole idea of of building one's faith off of intuition and jumbled together experiences combined with some research that is out of date and in date and like mishmashing it all together into a
1: thing. history
0: has really come in handy uh, in order to do the work of LGBTQ resources, because like a, like Pagan Face or Magical Face, it's piecing together lots of things that people have said at various times, uh, various spaces, and saying, this duct taped mess that I have put together works for L- LGBTQ students. And this is the center until it lives long enough that that duct tape kind of forms into glue, and it holds itself together forever. Uh, So that skill set, really useful. Uh, I also think that the understanding of gender and sexuality that has come out of pagan and natural faiths, at least from the brands that I've been exposed to and the people that I've been exposed to, I know that's not for everyone, there are lots of transphobes and assholes in pagan faiths, um, gave me a particular skill set to be able to talk to students and talk them through the experiences of gender and sexuality without ever having to touch the real world. Like, we got to make it this fantastical, magical place of wonder and amazement, which surprisingly speaks to a generation that uh, really doesn't believe the lies of cisgender heteropatriarchy and is looking for a new and exciting magical place to, like, find their home and their personhood. Um, so surprisingly, a lot of the just broad identity skill sets of uh, pagan faith came real handy in doing lgbtq work um because people are always talking like you're so creative or wow i never would have thought of doing a program that way and i'm like i'm honestly just pulling shit out of my ass (laughs) and half of that is like i'm doing this fully on intuition but there is a special type of skill set and trusting your gut that has really come that I've developed in this faith that I don't think I would have developed just in general as a professional. Like it comes from my faith background. How about you? That was a, that wasn't a short story, but no, 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 no. longer. I
1: think for me, it's, this also has to be prefaced. And I think we've mentioned it before with the idea that like the two of us are, you know, incredibly similar, incredibly tight human beings, but we also have lots of differences, which is wonderful. But, um, not what, where is I going with it? Anyways, connecting sentences together, (laughs) um, in a, in a yes and kind of way, um, you identify yourself as being very, like, queer forward, very trans forward, like, that is your sort of front face to the universe, and mine is pagan, like, I, I'm a pagan first, um, when presenting myself, so I think for me, it's sort of the center of my world in many ways, I mean, beyond, like, my, my my people, quote, unquote, my, my family, my friends, et cetera. Beyond that, the center of my world is um, being pagan and thinking about pagan. It's something I do on a daily basis. I spend a huge amount of my time on that. And so for me, I feel like it it definitely influences the way I think. Kind of like what you mentioned is the idea of like set. Things are not set so easily. They can change over time. And being very comfortable. The idea that things will just shift and change and evolve over time, Mm -hmm. um, which is not comfortable for a lot of, for a lot of folks.
0: Like tiny percentage of population.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think that that definitely helps. And it also is, I think it's provided me with now I'm starting to realize the values that allow me to sort of interact in a good way and doing it. And I had to sort of deprogram all of these more abrahamic values and the way that they were taught to me was very catholic um but they they do spread across most of the abrahamic face and relatively equal mass of like love and charity and all these things and i have to refocus pro-social values into the things that i think are truly important and moving forward like hospitality for me like i don't have to love someone to show them sacred hospitality it's just something you do or um honor you know' risk showing respect and dignity to others and risk and expecting it for yourself um and living up to your agreements and these types of things that sort of create a worldview that i see as building something better and i b- try to bring that to work um so if that means you know being like i have no i have no interest in talking about like love and these concepts because they have nothing they they don't Carry any water for me. Let's find some middle ground that we can actually have a have a good conversation about. And finding that you know there is a lot of neutral territory that like different belief systems, both you know um, political and other forms of belief, um, can find and have conversations in. It's just sort of getting to know what language there is that needs to be spoke to 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 get in the middle ground. Um, and also understanding that like, sometimes you have to, I guess for me, it's, 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 it's standing up, learning to stand up for my beliefs in a religious sense also broadens my ability to stand up for myself and navigate conflict in any other part of my life. Mm -hmm. And that is, Mm -hmm. that is kind of the most important thing. It's taught me how to sort of build, um, this anchor point that allows me to maybe have a, a greater effect on folks around me. I'm pretty conflict diverse as a person. So <laughs> I, I guess as, as I guess as my, my faith, my belief is really what kind of organizes me to be what I would consider a good person or at mm-hmm. least like a, a me person Yeah, uh, amongst the chaos. And so I don't have to, I don't have to sort of try to control the chaos. I just sort of have to go with the flow in as healthy a manner
0: yeah i think and
1: i know it's kind of rambly but yeah I think it you, makes sense. you make
0: me think about so one of the other skill sets that i am eternally grateful for that came out of learning and discovering a, a magical faith um is the ability to unlearn in ways i don't think people are often ready to and i can say this like i And specifically, often, as a DEI professional, being placed in front of majority identities, having to educate them in some way to not be an asshole, like, very rarely am I – I get to do programming for underrepresented identities, but more often than not, my programming needs to educate the masses in some way to make tolerance or increase awareness or acceptability, whatever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so – I, the the ability to unlearn, because I think, <laughs> I don't, you know what, I am choosing violence today. I think you can tell, uh, specifically from pagans, I think you can tell the ones who have actually interrogated their often Catholic, but more broadly Christian upbringings, like the ones who have done that work and have figured out what parts of the indoctrination of Catholicism and Christianity, broadly, is bad and toxic and teaches them shame and uh, <laughs> other bad values and the ones that haven't. And the ones that have, including us, I believe, we're always like interrogating and unlearning our Christian... Well, I Christian- mean,
1: it's a lifelong process.
0: Yeah, but the ones who have actually committed to that journey and are doing the work, there's a really powerful skill set in being able to interrogate and unlearn that is useful across other identities. And it's, I don't know how true this is, but it feels particularly, I don't know if it was more accessible to unlearn Christian values before I think like maybe whiteness. Uh, I, I don't know, but I am eternally grateful for this opportunity to unlearn before I knew what unlearning was so that when I'm in, front and doing the work of of diversity, I have done an unlearning journey and I know the general steps that worked for me and the general thoughts that I would have had and how I went about looking at resources and, you know, the network that I was able to build to help in that unlearning, like I'm able to pass on a huge set of transferable skills to help other people in whatever majority identity that they're trying to unlearn and unpack from To unlearn and unpack it, and like surprising again, who would have thought? You know, uh, fucking with your Christian upbringing, your Catholic upbringing, would become useful and in the in the broad things because it's not like like we're like you were saying, Christian supremacy is a thing people have a hard time even saying or believing, or it's not on diversity radars. But we got a lot of skill sets out of addressing it. That are, I think, ahead of their time in some way.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it, it it helps also being pagan that the world, you know, my obsessive compulsive disorder aside, the world is a much more, much less hostile place, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways, if you're a pagan. Um,
0: yeah, you don't have fire and brimstone being threatened at you yeah, once a there's week on no- Sunday
1: there's no universal moral structure that you have to worry about. Um, there is also no perfect beings that you have to work with because even the gods are as flawed as we are. Uh, if yeah. not more so in many ways, because they have to be live with the riptides of our narratives. But um, <laughs> It's true. So, yeah, the most beleaguered baby minders in the history of the universe. Sometimes, but hey, <laughs>
0: um, it, it, oh, yeah, I mean it's so true. And I, oh, I lost. nope, I lost the. Thread. We're gonna continue on from
1: here. But sort of, <laughs> sort of what I'm what I'm thinking about in that regard is just if the universe is so unhostile in many ways, I think it gives the unique opportunity to sort of be a calming presence in that, like, how do I put it? Like, for me, it's a little difficult because I still have a lot of unlearning of that sort of, like, universal morality, shame, guilt, sense of urgency, just because it is ingrained in my broken amygdala. But from, like, a person place, it's like, um... I don't know. I feel like it's an opportunity to hold myself and others accountable in a nicer way and like a, like a, like a, like a come hither way. Like a, like I can be a calming presence. That's like, I don't have to worry about hell and shit. Um, yeah. or Whatever sort of other moral schema there may be in other. Some, some don't, some do. It just yeah. sort of depends on who's, who you're talking to, but. uh, uh-huh. And I think it's interesting because like,
0: It has made me more calm in general to change, but it's also made, it's going to sound weird. It's made me more calm in all of my emotional states. Even when I'm full of rage is almost a calmer rage because I have the, I don't want to say the life experience, but I've have the, this is just but a time and place. Uh, And I can live in this rage because I know I can control it because I've been able to control other things that are unwieldy. I've been able to draw magical energy from the earth and summon all powerful beings to this this plate. Not literally, but, you know, you know what I mean? Um, Like, I've been able to do such fantastical things that, you know, when I feel the feelings of rage... I can live in them and it won't consume me. So like I've been able to, and especially for working with students who are in a time of tumultuous everything is chaotic and uh knee-jerk reaction to everything because they live their life year to year. So everything is world-ending. Um, I've been able to like have very thoughtful conversations about healthy emotional regulation so that they in that shame spiral that lots of religions but specifically christianity teaches them in the black and gray black and white morality complex um we've been able to find spaces where they don't hide from their emotions and at the same time they're able to feel through them in a way that gets them to the other side and not fall apart through the process. (laughs) because i've just built a a calm like aura because time isn't real and uh i know i'll get to the other side because i watched odin literally hang himself and he was fine i'm actually wearing that shirt (laughs) yeah (laughs) Odin hanging himself
1: (laughs) that's a good one i mean i think that also comes with the idea of like having more experience in setting boundaries too um because if, you're, if, you're, if your god is all-powerful or all-pervasive, then there's no boundaries to so that. You are just totally at the whims of this universal thing. Uh-huh. When it comes to us, nothing and no one is ever nor ever will be all-powerful. And so you can just say no. Like, <laughs> no is always an option. Uh-huh. Um, and so being able to, like, pass on the skill of, like, you can always just say no. Like, no is an option. Yeah. Like, like, it's okay. <laughs> it's true. No.
0: Yeah. So for all the job skills that uh, Pagan and Magical Faiths have given us, which is amazing, um, has uh, your Magical Faith impacted or is there anything you, like a unique experience that you've had as a result of your faith in your job that like particularly sticks out as either shaping your career or where you're at? And I can go first, because I I, I don't know if I have mine. Um, For me, well, again, it doesn't impact, and I've gained so much job skills, and I'm always discovering new ways that my pagan faith and magical identity have, like, surprisingly made my life easier. Like, being able to describe gender in terms of uh, the Fae and other, Mm -hmm. other plainer beings has landed fairly well and helped me. But I... The particular memory or the particular thing that uh, has really impacted me that I always think about is how pagan faith has really given me a control over my career trajectory that I don't think general capitalist society has ever allowed me. I've always felt in the sea of chaos at the mercy of whoever is willing to hire a transhuman or a more transgressive human. I always felt at the mercy of other things. I still a little bit do, but that's because we live in a capitalist shithole society. But pagan faith has given me a lot more emotive control over how I let that affect me because I always have like, I swear that I got this job because of the things that we did on various mm-hmm. high holidays in the past year. I've become this, my job isn't stable financially, but uh, it is stable socially. Uh, and I live in a state where I am not in a shithole where i don't have any community anymore um and that was all because of the work i was able to do and the lessons i learned about the control over my own life and its own trajectory and that if i don't like it here i can do the real world skills of finding a job in that but i can amplify them by actually taking time to listen to the universe whatever you want to call it uh listen to the signs trust my intuition lay down the fa- the foundation you know do the superstitions that i believe in so they work because i believe in them and like get me to the place i want to be that when i cast the forward memory of we talked i think we talked about the secret magic in this episode in this show at least once that the secret to magic is like when you have the forward memory of you see yourself having done it having done it but it's in the future the magic is set, the intention is set, and the timeline is set, and that you have the power to set your timeline. And if you believe in it, and sometimes it's hard to because the world makes us not believe in our own skill sets, but when you find that beacon of truth and you set the intention and you have the forward memory, that you can do it. So I, the, the number one lesson that I've gotten out of pagan faith that has helped me in my career the most is that control over one's personal timeline personal destiny personal experience that if you want it it sounds it sounds like the secret which is a watered down version of this principle but if you want it you can manifest it and life says as simple as that if you want it you can manifest it obviously there's a lot of nuance and complicated pieces of that but like right that core belief has gotten me to where i am today because i just did it along with like actually doing the work and other things but like I manifested it because I wanted it.
1: Right. I mean, for me, I think it's, this is a broader thing than like a single moment or whatever, but I think it's given me the opportunity to step back and really view what I think. For me, the best way that I conceive of the universe and that makes the most sense in my brain is basically fate like fate is everything and the the best way to visualize it in my mind is a tapestry um because mm-hmm. as much as the hellenic world doesn't speak to me the weaving of fate is sort of a very appropriate symbol That's in my in mind. most
0: of our cultures yeah though. it is but um, weave.
1: and basically like we all are within the tapestry of fate we're all constantly like threads that are being woven together and our choices change how it goes and other people's choices change how it goes. So even if you're going one way and someone's going another way, their other way might affect your way, even if you don't under- realize it. And the only thing that gods have differently in the terms of fate is just, I think a wider perspective. Um, but also you like you, if you look at the narratives of myth, which is such, so central to my beliefs, Um, you just kind of pivot and look at the quote unquote real world and you see how history just is the same sort of cyclical narrative um, because humans are sort of the we are just I think in many ways our souls if we want to call it that are basically the same as like gods and fairies and giants and other things we just have to live in meat at least temporarily (laughs) so we play out mythology but with a lot more permanent effects because the material world doesn't allow for rebirth cycles in the same way (laughs) so we just play out these myths and in some ways that makes it like oh so tying the knots in fate which is magic basically we're just putting a a state an anchor point of what we want into the tapestry of fate there's such comfort and such knowing that like even though we have so little control there is something little you can do to affect fate but also it's not your responsibility because you're just a thread in a tapestry. Like, yes, you can make a small change to the pattern, but don't expect yourself to become the whole tapestry. Like understanding that broader perspective of how fate and history and myth all interact brings me such joy and brings me such purpose in life. And in, and in many ways, I think in terms of a job and a profession, I can sort of, try to explain my worldview and maybe give someone an opportunity to not feel so overwhelmed by reality. And also to have the skills to realize that, you know, like, maybe you need to bring your perspective in, or maybe you need to bring your perspective out, like, like this visualization, this, this, this concept of fate is so powerful. And I think (laughs) I've also learned too, that like, I don't have to try to jump ahead. Like you can't, jump ahead into, into tapestry that doesn't exist. You have to, you can plan maybe, but you have to wait for it to be woven. So, you know, trying to take my mind out of the future and, and more into the present and focus on what's being woven now, I think is really important. And it's a skill (laughs) I'm still building. Like I'm very bad at it, but uh, it's, it's, it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile.
0: Yeah. I've only been able to produce a few instances of forward memory, gotten better at it too it's a skill set that takes a long time to do because it's it's a trust thing you know Mm -hmm. trusting that the knot you tie in now is going to cascade into the pattern you want it to be later Mm -hmm. so i guess that's uh, another thing i learned to trust myself through pagan faith i think i've always like trusted myself a little bit but i trusted myself kind of in a capitalist sense of like i'm worth it and i'm i produce Mm -hmm. value i trust that um but pagan faith Took that, said fuck that, and you know, trust yourself on an intrinsic value. Just trust yourself because it's okay to trust yourself, not because it produces value or you're good enough. Like you just trust yourself, and that's yeah. <laughs> I say that, and I still don't always like believe it. It's always a work in progress, but I, I think this faith, and at least especially the way we've constructed it over these last two years, I can say from two years ago, even from the beginning of this podcast, I trust myself a lot more then I, I did and on no basis yeah. besides just trusting myself, not for any purpose, not for any, like anyone's benefit, no for capitalist gain. Like I just trust myself.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think taking the standpoint of being intrinsically val- valuable, valuable in just the fact that you're a fate agent, you it's like chemistry, you know, like no one molecule or atom that is a component is like intrinsically more or less valuable than any other. They just form new and wonderful combinations. And so it's the same type of thing. You're just a you're just an agent of fate. You have very little control, but the control you have is very valuable. Yeah. And it doesn't that's... have to produce any sort of form of tangible value. It's just you're an unnecessary component.
0: Because it controls the small window that you can you can see. Like you have, I think, tremendous control over your own life, but you're our own not to be all sad and nihilist. But our own lives are, like, our meat sack lives are small and fleeting. So the knots we do in our lifetimes feel so huge because we can see them. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like, it's a tiny window. So, like, they affect a lot in that tiny window. But overall, like, we think of the people who make history, half of that is because they were lucky at the right place in the right time and enough people believed that their change was important, that they just kept it going and built them into their own mythos. We talked about that before too. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because they did anything like amazing. Well, like they all did amazing things, but everyone does amazing things. It's a lot of happenstance and everybody can be, at the same time nobody matters everybody can matter too like everybody can be the person who makes history everybody has the potential to do nothing and do everything and it kind of just depends on how the knots shake out and whether the tapestry likes the pattern and keeps it or you know moves on to a different pattern and a couple weaves
1: yeah i mean that's the that's the double-sided coin of fate versus say providence like providence means that there's some sort of Divine plan, and that you have very little control because it's all part of a big plan. In my idea, fate means there's no plan, there's no purpose. So the two sides (laughs) of the coin is that nothing can, nothing matters because nothing is planned, nothing has purpose. But on the other hand, the other side of that coin is if nothing matters, then anything can matter. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's that, uh, it's the, it's the other side. Who was it? The artist, um, um my favorite artist whose name always escapes me did all of the aids art very oh keith herring yes thank you keith herring said you know nothing matters so everything matters yep so that's yeah that's exactly the point
0: it also makes me think of when like uh what i don't remember if it's what darwin actually meant but like how we actually now understand evolutionary theory is everyone thought like oh it's you know who produces the most value gets to survive in society and like no nature is weird sometimes things survive simply because it's so weird and out of left field that can't touch it evidence being sunfish our our friends the mola mola just exists because it's literally such useless waste of space that nothing can kill it and it spawns too fast for anything to take it out of existence. So it's failure of life, if we were to take it from a productive productivity standpoint, is it survival?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the thing about evolution is it's it's been co-opted, but because social evolution is is what we talk about, social Darwinism, which had nothing to do with Darwin. It was his brother-in-law who was a weird venture capitalist dude um but darwin basically was it's all about the idea of niches and the fact that nature don't fix what's not broken so if you are too useful to live you're dead if you're too useless to die you survive congratulations you won evolution like it's all just about like do you continue forward do you fill your niche do you no
0: matter what that survive niche is
1: like you could be you as like you could be as ill adapted to your environment as you want but as long as you are able to continue on evolution's like you work congratulations you get yep. the gold star as long as you are able to continue your species why evolve you could be so horrible clinging clinging to sur- clinging to survival. But if you survive, you win. Yep. That's evolution. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so not to change gears too abruptly, but um I feel we would be remiss if we didn't tell people who we talked pretty positively about how it's affected our careers, but and you alluded a little bit to kind of the struggle sometimes of being pagan in a professional sense, but I guess we should spend a little bit of time of like what are the hardships. Uh and I can go first because mine's really short it's it's the inaccessibility of professional life from a religious standpoint our calendars especially here in the United States are built off Christianity so all the holidays that we get off are always around Christian holidays I am lucky enough that I'm in both a profession and in a work environment where when I need to I can take time off for religious observance but I even note like because my coworkers would say that, and my supervisor also would say that, like, if you need a religious observance, just take off. My religious observances has been so impacted by Christian supremacy that we make them always fall on a weekend so that I don't have to take off.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: just might need a big, be- I'll be gone for a weekend, so I'll be more exhausted on Monday. So maybe your kind social space for me to be more exhausted on Monday is all I ask for, because that's how deep Christian Christian supremacy goes. So for me, it's inaccessibility. Nobody knows I exist. Nobody cares if my needs as a religious identified person are met. Um, if it doesn't have a organized and a .dot gov. I don't think churches are gov, but whatever their ending is. If it doesn't have an oh, official, apparently. yeah. If it doesn't have an official status nobody cares about it. So I never get asked uh, whether I want an email that tells people of the considerations for religious observance that's coming up. Like we do, um, not always great, but we do with like Ramadan and we do around Lent. Like we always email folks, like don't ask for this or make sure you're making accommodations around food. No one asks me if we need anything. Luckily, I built a faith that i don't need much but even building a faith that doesn't need much is part of the problem um so for me it's all that there's a lot of inaccessibility that comes with being a pagan it's a very invisible you don't really exist
1: yeah i would i would echo that most of the problems i have is partly uh the the sort of programmed christian supremacy part of like always adapting my faith schedule and my faith needs to not interrupt my work life, which, you know, isn't something that even other minority faiths have to do necessarily, because, you know, like, Muslims can choose whether or not to participate in Ramadan, I can't, you know, I don't, I don't have the experience to say that, but, like, people will understand that Ramadan is a legit thing that they will have to work around, you know, or, like, Passover or a Jewish holiday or Jewish, like, co- being kosher, although people are pretty bad about food needs as well, but that's more work tangent. (laughs) Um, but like if it's an organized or recognized religion, then people are willing to like work around it. If you're not a recognized religion, then you're just making it up and you have to adapt to everyone else's schedule, Uh which is not helpful. And I kind of have yet to really stand up and say like, Nope, I'm not going to adapt my religious life to this stuff anymore. (laughs) And also that other side, which is not just a pagan problem, but um, I think just being a minority problem of like, if you're doing something for someone else, like say if I am doing something to help the inclusion or, or like well-being of like, say the Muslims on campus, like I'm the good guy, I'm doing a good job. But if I'm promoting for pagans, then it's suspect because I am a pagan. I'm being selfish in some, some people's eyes. It's like the same thing of like, if black folks who are not queer are helping queer people, they're being the good person. But the moment they bring up, mm, maybe we should serve more things specific to the black community, there's immediately suspect. So yep. it's like, it, it's it's like, well, this isn't fair. <laughs> this is not yeah. fair to anyone who has to go through that experience.
0: huh. I think the only other thing that I would, if someone is like, how open should I be about my faith in life my answer would be as, uh, be as open as you want to be. I think first and foremost, you need to make that decision for yourself. I will warn. I think the thing I face the most besides like the invisibility and having shifting my schedule, which is a lot I do just like personally, a lot of people don't know that. I'm not in a faith office, so like it's even more invisible for me. At least you like are in the spaces to like yeah. have some of those conversations. Um, but The thing that comes up the most is uh, our faiths as novelty. The moment someone Mm -hmm. knows about it, I get so many questions under the sun around the novelty of Mm -hmm. our faith. I get questions of like, oh, are Marvel movies accurate? Which like, no, why would they be? They're stories. They're, They're media. I might believe they're accurate in some ways, Loki. <laughs> but uh, I don't, they're not they're not religious texts, like why would you think? Like I, I get a lot of our religions, our faiths feel like novelties to people because of things like they think of the wicker man and they think of, you know, movies and you know, hocus pocus and they're like, is that it? And I'm like, no it's not sometimes i wish it was but that's a personal choice
1: the wicker <laughs> man gets as cl- almost as close to me like being like i mean it's a blind it's a it's a whole like critique of blind faith but like i'm like wow is that kind of like the good parts is that what like a pagan majority society in the modern world would look like that's awesome like hopefully we don't have famine that leads us to make bad choices but like that's cool
0: yeah Uh, but that's like my biggest warning if you're thinking about like being (laughs) out i don't like using that phrasing but uh i really
1: don't like that that particular phrasing in terms of our faith but
0: yeah if you're if you're thinking about being open about incorporating your faith into your into your career life like other people who get to do a little more willy-nilly um prepare for novelty Mm -hmm. you become the interesting person in the room but not because you're interesting but because the idea of you is interesting
1: Right. It's, it's the token experience. And if you thrive off that, it's a great opportunity. Like I, I kind of thrive off of it because I use it as a, as a, as a learning opportunity. But if it's something that's exhausting for you, that's valid. And, you know, maybe making more strategic decisions or doing some specific like care for yourself around dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does so slowly go away, depending if you're in like a stable space where people remain the same for long periods of time, like you'll become less novel and more and it'll be fine.
0: And it'll go back Um, to being invisible, honestly.
1: Yeah, if if you're in a place where there's lots of turnover, like in my case, in like higher ed, the students and staff tend to turn over pretty quickly, it'll be a constant experience. But for me, I thrive off of it. So Mm -hmm. it's not a problem. I can definitely see where it'd be a problem in other other. Times and spaces,
0: yeah. I also like tend to thrive off it. Just the novelty of like always immediately going to like their media relationships with it yeah. gets old. I want to get to the like l- ask me your real questions about it. Don't ask me if it's like Marvel, like get past that weird question that you want right. to ask. But um I guess our last segment is so you want <laughs> from our D campaign. So you wanna have a career in magical faiths what options are there out there if you actually like wanted to take what you do in faith circles and like do it to become financially stable?
1: It's a great question. I mean, if I had any real good answers personally, <laughs> I, I think I, I would be doing it already. Um, <laughs> they could always because, start a podcast because the, uh, well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, there are some people who do make their lives often that requires a lot of publishing. Um,
0: yeah, we tend to be a pretty publishing heavy faith. Um,
1: and to get yourself out there, you need to be published and have that publishing be popular. And then you get, you get paid to show up at things um, and you teach classes. But also if you just, you know, they're like, but there are also sideline stuff like you know, if you're good at divination and you're doing it in an ethical way, because there are unethical ways to make money off of that, but, you know, I will leave that to your conscience, you know, making a little extra money at an event or something, or like doing fundraising through divination is a pretty common thing, actually. Um, or, you know, um, like uh, if you have the opportunity to speak for, um, in, in like a panel or something, you um, uh-huh art producing, you know, selling the art you make in a religious context.
0: Uh, Yeah, the supplies, you know, there are lots of folks who end up going into, like if you have a green thumb, going into herbalism and like selling Mm -hmm. supplies for magical faiths uh, and what people need. I mean, I don't want to toot our own horn, but I actually think this is one of the places that things like higher education actually shine in or like community centers actually shine in Uh, you know having space it's not always easy to find or get to but having space that a little bit more open to have a career where you get to use your faith in everyday action you know I think universities while you'll be a novelty and probably tokenized a university that has a spiritual center being a pagan a practicing one uh, who has connections or not but like who who can talk about the identities and the stories and the experiences actually is a really strong application for a lot of mm-hmm. religious life yeah. centers so like the higher education is actually like a decent option to turn your faith into a career or the beginnings of one, because you get to learn all the other stuff on the back end of like just doing broad religious diversity stuff or religious identity development. You can learn that on the back end, but a lot of institutions are looking for these niche things that they're missing. They won't pay you great, but they're looking for these niche things that they're missing. So surprisingly, higher ed. Don't want don't to push that because there are lots of other messed up parts of higher ed. But you need a job and you want to do stuff in Magical Faith consider college
1: <laughs> yeah um, one thing I will say though is if you are working in a um, that sort of like a religious services center type of thing like you, the some of the like threat that it, you can often feel as being a minority or like um, immediate like reaction to certain groups. Is something that you do have to learn how to curb um, because you are serving more than just your own belief system that is and true. there is there is you have to kind of learn to find value in other people's beliefs and religions and so if it's if that's too stressful an experience then like i wouldn't put mm-hmm. yourself through it it provides it does put stress in my life but i also feel strong enough in my own identity and in my ability to think for myself that I don't see it as as much of a threat anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do things that allow me to take care of, to take care of that. But, um, yeah, it's, there are options. Yeah. There's also ways to incorporate, you know, your beliefs and your faith into anything you do. Yeah.
0: I feel so Christianity, this is again, talking from I think my personal experience, uh, Christianity and Catholicism specifically tried to teach me to have a pretty segmented life like you go to church on Sundays and churches you know religious experiences for Sunday holiday and for when you like set time to go do prayer for the season of Lent like it was for very specific times and for the rest of time it was a lot of it's not appropriate to talk about. You know, religion was always was one of those things you don't talk about religion at the dinner table. So it was a very segmented life. But pagan faith, like you can just put it anywhere. You do, uh, I do LGBTQ stuff, but I talk about pagan faith just because of how great, how many great examples there are for gender and sexual diversity mm-hmm. across mythos, across the world for students to hear. I know of like various public administrators that use pagan faith in the most random of things.
1: It's, it's very, it's very true. I, I think the, the, one of the most important things too, and this kind of gets back to our previous segment a little bit is, uh, is sort of learning to have to curb people's expectations of precedent because mainstream faiths, even even minority ones like Judaism or Hinduism or Jainism or Buddhism or whatever, have these massive unbroken histories that we unfortunately don't because there was a systemic eradication of our ancestors' indigenous beliefs that we have started to learn from but can never reclaim fully. So we have to exert that we, we are a legitimate religion that just happens to be relatively new by comparison to some of our peers. It doesn't make us less valid. Like it's the same sort of experience that any, I think that many religions faced when they were in their infancy, but those were thousands of years ago. So that memory has been lost due to precedent and ours really hasn't. I would, I would argue the beginning Of our religion as it is now was like the 1950s so there hasn't you know there are people still alive who (laughs) lived before our religion was really a religion yeah now so you know we're just at the very beginning of this process
0: (laughs) but you get to come in at the ground floor of that experience (laughs) make this like a job ad um so Last thing, because we always tend to look for the future. We do this like we go through the past, present, and the future because we're sadists and we like to do everything. (laughs) Completionists. Looking forward to the future. Anything on the horizon in your professional life that uh, you're interested and want to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, for one, if the money ever comes my way, I'd love to get my MDiv um, and become like a fully government certified pagan religious figure just for the access that it would give me not because i believe it's a necessary like i believe that i am as fully equipped to be a pagan religious professional like a religious leader now as i would be then yeah Um, in terms of like the religious skills like Mm -hmm. the leadership skills could always be improved, but um, yeah.
0: For the people at home, MDivs are masters of divinity. Just in case, I don't know if anyone does. It's, it's
1: what it's it's the academic credential that lots and lots of uh, higher level clerics of various belief systems get in their own belief system. Yeah. Um. But uh, in in lieu of that, even if I was making just a little more money, I would love to get there's a through the same place that offers the MDiv, um There is like a, a community pastoral certificate that is much more cost affordable. So Uh, I'd love to do that. Um, But I'm also taking on just like a leadership role within the local community on the board of the local pagan group. Um, So, I mean, even that's just a great opportunity to sort of stretch my wings and and get some more experience and explore new territory. Um, And I would love to try to have more conversations about, more like honest conversations about faith and belief and the baggage that comes with it with people of other belief systems that I haven't really yet at work but Mm -hmm. I really want to start doing that partly just out of my own interest and also just to like get people thinking about how like it's not actually threatening for someone to have an alternative opinion or worldview if we're all just approaching it with like a non-threatening like mindset, like, nope, we just want to hear what everyone else sees in the world. It's like, it's like, I think of it as like walking through an art museum. Like you may like modern art and I like Renaissance classical and we, we don't really like each other's art, but we can at least like take each other around and show each other our favorite pieces and find value in that. So yeah, That's part of what I would like to do. How about you? Do you have any sort of opportunities (sighs) that you want to take?
0: Yeah, I think, I'm interested in adding the MDiv in my eternal quest to collect all of the degree titles. (laughs) That would involve me going backwards and getting a BA and BFA because I have a Bachelor's of Science. Right. But I've collected very... I have an MPA and and a Master's of Science, so maybe I'll add an MDiv to my collection. Um, But I'm also an academic at heart, so the learning the academic side of religion and the opportunities it could present for research is just fascinating um so mdiv is interesting i don't think i'll get there um i am interested so uh we have talked about the pervasive thing of death for uh, many episodes just this last star episode we talked about the pervasiveness of death i am interested in and seeing where possibly one hour journey into the world of the good people comes
1: mm. c- comes out with I'm this. I'm so excited. I'm so excited.
0: A part of that is I'm really interested in. I don't have a better word for this. I'm not. Sh- I don't know the history of this word, but uh, I would like to become a death doula uh, of sorts and figure out what a good people slavic take on death transition looks like because i i don't know anything about slavic funeral rights they're all christian i will now. give
1: you i made I've, i read a book a couple books and i have a page or i have a couple pages of notes that i can share with you about that
0: boot, but, boot. so i would love to get maybe a certificate in that and like play that role i'm still hunting for community around here to get like involved with like that um, the only other professional thing that has presented itself, um, uh, two things, one, trying to really start, I'm at a private institution, so having the ability to do religious life in a little bit more of a free sense than state institutions do, sometimes, yeah, depending on the state. Enjoy. Um, I'm interested in pushing spiritual life on the campus that I work uh, currently. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that for professional safety. Uh, So not going to go down that road, Um, but I am interested in continuing to push the campus to incorporate spiritual life more officially, not necessarily in the realm of DEI. That's sometimes a tough question to get them to believe, but just the opportunity to do spiritual life at all, because right now we just have one Catholic chaplain who exists, who just does Ash Wednesday and a couple other things. Um, but he doesn't do anything like so even support the Catholic students. <laughs> so I mentioned, and we have a beautiful church that we bought that is now just uh, random classrooms that has like a really big space. I'm like, this could be a great non denominational space and an office below it. Um, so I, I'm interested in pushing that and seeing the bounds of uh, maybe what a shift into spiritual life as well looks like in higher education, LGBTQ will always be my home, but I will take any opportunity that probably presents especially more money uh, into my life. (laughs) I don't think this would, but the other thing I'm interested in is I have always been fascinated. Well, no, I actually take that back. It's not fascination. I always want to incorporate religious identity into my LGBTQ work from the vantage point of trying to make religious spaces more safe for LGBTQ folks, because I've heard too many stories of folks leaving religion completely, not because they're atheists and it's actually the belief system that they have, but because they've been so burned by their identities because of the and their religious upbringing and i think that's a problem so i, I uh, want to incorporate a healing aspect of religious faith i do it every year around trans day of remembrance i always do some sort of interfaith service to in some small way try to remind trans folks that religious spaces are built for them well okay they're not built for them but they're open and there should be spaces built for them inside sp- Uh, places of faith so one of the things i might go on to do is um in my phd work in women and gender studies and sexuality studies is really look at the intersections of uh religious identity development among lgbtq populations maybe specifically trans populations if i actually could get a a population size big enough to do a study on and not just like five people but um I am I like those intersections. So I've like you said at the beginning, I've always been queer forward, but I think it's a slow process until they merge. It might not be until I'm like 50, but I think the two paths, the threads are gonna merge together. I just don't know when.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely am not sure kind of how the future is going because all COVID has taught me that everything that I thought for the future is not really gonna happen, mm-hmm. but I think that's better because now I don't over plan and I'm not disappointed. I just yeah. take it moment by moment. But I would love to have more integration of more integration and more confidence to just put myself out there in terms of like just being like, this is what I believe and handing it to people. And if they don't like it, they don't have to have it. But like just 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 being out there and, and explaining myself without having to feel as self-conscious about it and like one thing that i'm thinking of starting to do is um you know when people say things like oh like uh like blessings from their religion for like if you've done something for them or like wish you (laughs) one of their holidays like happy whatever holiday just being like doing that back you know, and within my own tradition. And like, if someone is doesn't like it, that's fine. But you know, I think probably what will happen is it'll normalize the idea that like, this cross, this like cross, faith this interfaith understanding can actually build out of it. So like, someone's like, Merry Christmas, I can be like, Oh, Happy Yule. And like, just have it be like a happy, nice experience of sharing. So yep. I, I don't think I, I don't want to be afraid to share anymore, because I don't I don't actually think it's that it's that offensive to most people. It's probably be a good thing.
0: Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on pagan professional life?
1: Mm, you know, I want to say, like, the loud and proud hoorah stuff, but, like, reality is that sometimes you have to make the st- strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I think it's not wrong to foster the loud and proud thoughts in your heart.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think all... Any way that an individual chooses to live their identities is always valid. So if you want to be – it's a private thing you do at home, very solitary. Maybe you have your community that you go to uh, for high holidays, but that's the place you do it in. And when you're at work or in your everyday life, no religious symbols, no, no mention of it. People ask you just, you know, I'm spiritual. One hundred percent valid. Same thing. If it's a middle ground of you share it with some people and not with others, or you're the loud in your face. I I wear fairy wings to work. <laughs> Renaissance, red and fair pagan, um, or cyber goth pagan. Like that is also a fair existence. It, when it I'm, comes to your I'm... identities, I hope people, if what if anything they've learned from this podcast besides all the cool facts about pagan and magical faith that I hope you learn every week or every month um is that we very much put forward the idea that like you get to choose your personal journey around everything that is you and whatever decisions you make are valid even if someone else doesn't agree with it i hope they learn that from us (laughs) because that's like a central tenet to at least me
1: yeah yeah no that's (laughs) that's a big one
0: Yeah, that's a big one. Didn't think we were getting life-altering lessons today, did we? We thought we were just going to talk about pagan professionalism.
1: (laughs) I mean, true professionalism should provide life-altering lessons, but...
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, So that's, I guess, our journey through pagan professionalism. I I found the queerness in it, so I think we're keeping on trend for our season uh, episode of just like our journeys and the chaotic uh, gender gremlins that we are pagan gender gremlins weirdos yeah um so tune in next (laughs) i don't know what we're talking about oh i think next month we have another uh fantastical episode right um i think going on another uh solo adventure
1: yes yes i am i
0: don't know if you want to reveal it now you want it to be a surprise
1: I will leave it a surprise just until I get the final details worked
0: out. Oh, that's true. We don't want to. We don't want to overpromise here. We don't overpromise. I think we've done that before, but uh, we hopefully we'll have a special episode for it's May. It'll be May's episode. We're in April right now. Uh, May's episode should be special, and then we hit the summer. where both Colin and I have a little bit more free time to do hopefully some fun stuff. I'm not I'm gonna hoping promise. We can do another
1: watch. I think that would be fun.
0: That would be fun. Although our last book got taken off YouTube for copyright infringement, but you know it lives on in podcast land, I believe.
1: We'll we'll we'll, we'll make it work. We'll figure out what what we can and can't get away with.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, laundry list of things you can uh, connect with us on social media: Instagram, Twitter, and uh, TikTok. Crohn's porch multiples with the S, and on Facebook, Crone porch you can also email us cronesporch at gmail.com with your feedback suggestions funny cat videos book suggestions if you want us to read a book for filth i will always bag on silver ravenwolf so if you want me to just do a whole episode bagging on silver ravenwolf and her pervasive toxicity of us and ruining of solitary witchcraft as a whole identity in her uh uh, this is probably the only time you'll hear me say this, but in her anti-Christian values.
1: <laughs> I mean, I I just I just read a a very Wicca centric book that was very similar, but about gay gay men specifically within the tradition, and it was deeply upsetting to me. So,
0: I'll just back on. <laughs> bad on bad authors. Just-
1: can, you want a whole episode of us? salty bitches. Yeah, if you want a whole episode of
0: us being salty bitches about bad pagan authors, uh, you could do that. We'll bring Morgan back for that one, so Morgan can join us from an author's perspective of complaining about bad authors. <laughs> Morgan, if you're listening, you might get a phone call from us at some point. <laughs> uh, but I have nothing after that. That was like you can email us. Yeah. We also just want to hear from people. If it's just a it's hi, how are you?
1: yeah we'd love to hear from you if you have something you know if you even you send us like a, a clip of yourself talking or asking questions we will happily you know answer on air or, or hear what you have to say on air so you know you can drop us a line that way too
0: yeah so i guess until next time i'll say does with Danya." unless there's something else you have to, i don't know if there's anything else nope, does does with Danya. and we'll see you next time on the Crohn's porch